on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. Their recommendations are reduce cholesterol, reduce cholesterol, at all costs, reduce cholesterol. And that might not be the best advice because we actually need cholesterol. Cholesterol that is in our, our cells, our cell membranes, is actually what interacts with the UVB rays from the sun to synthesize vitamin D. Welcome to In The Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. Uh, we are coming off of Thanksgiving week, so hope everybody's Thanksgiving was great. We haven't really had ours yet because we're recording this a week yeah. early, So, um, but we hope it was great. We hope the turkey tips helped out a bunch for all of you guys and, and hope that you got something out of it. But today, we're actually talking about vitamin D, and you know, we kind of mentioned this in the last episode. Uh, it is the sunshine vitamin. And um, as you all know, the days are getting shorter. Um, winter is here. So that means there's less sunshine throughout the day. And that's one of the main ways that we get the absorption of vitamin D is through the sunlight. So our body will typically make the vitamin D using sunlight. But lately, people have been spending more times indoors. And that's not only because it's getting colder out, but we got this thing going on that we won't mention <laughs> right just this second, because I know Nick will mention it. We might mention it. I might not use the name, but I might mention it. All right. We'll, we'll, and we're we'll, going to talk, talk about some some data that's been coming out, but also been they, they've tried to sweep this data under the rug. So we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up with some sort of code name for it. Yeah, we'll like, figure it out. We'll else? figure it out as we get there. Yeah. Everyone should know what we're talking about. If you don't... Um, you should watch the news. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, so first fun fact, um, the rate of vitamin D deficiency is over 40% in the United States. So basically the average person has a 50, 50 chance of being deficient in vitamin D odds are not great. And we're going to talk about that today as to, you know, why people might be deficient and, you know, how we can be better at absorbing vitamin D, certain things that we can do throughout the day. Um, but those who have darker skin, the rate's a lot higher. It's about 80%, all right? And that that goes along with their ability to absorb the vitamin D because of the pigment in their skin, uh, which is called melanin. And the darker the skin, the less absorption of vitamin D um, because of the UV radiation that can penetrate the skin. So um, so for and all you guys Melanin's a good there, thing, people. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's your body's protective mechanism. So it, it totally. protects you from being overloaded with, you know, the UVB, the UV rays, but also... It protects you from being overloaded with with vitamin D because you get vitamin D synthesized from from the sunlight, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But yeah, I'll let, I'll let Chad finish his yeah. fun facts. <laughs> his fun facts. So this is true. So um, studies are consistently showing that our vitamin D uh, status drops during the winter. So as we're coming up into these winter months, vitamin D status drops. Levels peaking in September with their lowest in March. So we're not quite the lowest. And I next Nick's going to talk a little bit about, you know, our ability to absorb during the winter months and all that other stuff too. So we'll kind of get into a little bit more of that. But um, another fun fact, vitamin D, not so much a vitamin at all. In mm. fact, it's it's more defined mm-hmm. as a hormone by definition. And we'll kind of get into talking about why that is. Um, but the body does synthesize vitamin D after sun exposure. 
and it's activated by the liver and kidneys. So this activation process um, is why vitamin D acts more like hormone. You know, it's there's no other vitamin that we know of that is processed like that through you know the kidneys or the liver. Um, therefore, it's very unique. And that's part of the reason we're doing a podcast solely on vitamin D here, because it, why why not do it on all the the micronutrients? Well, vitamin D is is a little different than the other ones, because one. The sun is super important for it, but two, also it does, it acts as a hormone and most of the other vitamins will act as, you know, either ends, you know, enzymes for hormones, precursors, things like that. But vitamin D being a hormone, it has it effects on every system of the body really. And it, it, it is involved in so many functions. So it's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So. What do, what do you want to start with, Nick? All right. So, so many things. So many I know, things. I know. So I think we should probably start with you. You hit some good points there. I think we should probably start with how how we do get vit- how we truly get vitamin D from the sun. So this is an important one for us because we've talked about this in previous podcasts with regard to cholesterol. But you know, we have these current recommendations um, set forth by multiple organizations, really, and. The, their, their recommendations are reduce cholesterol, reduce cholesterol, at all costs, reduce cholesterol. And that might not be the best advice because we actually need cholesterol. Cholesterol that is in our, our cells, our cell membranes, is actually what interacts with the UVB rays from the sun to synthesize vitamin D. So really what happens is you have this molecule called 7-dehydrocholesterol, which is a derivative of cholesterol. So in order to have 7-dehydrocholesterol, you need cholesterol. So you need cholesterol in your body, not just that's already there, but we need to consume you know, dietary cholesterol. So this molecule is converted once it interacts with the UVB rays in the cells, and it's converted to pre-vitamin D, which is then synthesized to vitamin D3, which then travels to the liver. And that's um, you know, either converted to a storage form of vitamin D or a, it goes to the kidneys to become an active form. And the active form is what, what functions as the hormone. So we store it in our fat cells. So the vitamin D is, very, is fat soluble. So that's very important to know as well, because if you are not consuming adequate dietary fat, you are likely not absorbing enough vitamin D from food. And we know, Chad already mentioned that nowadays we are probably not getting enough sunlight as a whole. But, you know, you, you can, we, we will get most of our vitamin D from sunlight. But supplementing through our diet, it can be huge in our modern day world where our, our life's just not structured in the way it was, you know, a couple, couple hundred years ago where we're, we're kind of stuck indoors. And realistically, we noticed as a society that vitamin D was so important during the Industrial Revolution. So it, it was the type of thing that this, this condition known as rickets was ever growing and, and doctors were like, well, what the heck's going on? And they narrowed it down to vitamin D. It was a vitamin D deficiency in children. And this was because in the industrial revolution, we were building all these tall factories and buildings and the kids just weren't getting as much sunlight anymore because they lived in these dark alleyways. They weren't, pl- they were playing in the alleyways instead of out in, in, in the direct sun. So they were developing rickets. And actually the first C-section was reportedly done in response to rickets because the females were, were having flatter pelvises through development. So they weren't able to um, go through the childbirthing process in the you know more natural, normal way with a wider pelvis because this pelvis had become more narrow and flat due to the uh, bone mineralization issues. So super interesting that that's kind of when we started to realize that vitamin D was an issue. But now we have this, this interesting time in, in history where um, 
we you know we say that the numbers show that 40 roughly 40% are deficient but could it be more are our numbers that we're recommending appropriate and that's that's a big thing that that we feel here is that maybe they're not because you know anywhere you look it's all all the numbers are skewed like they're so different you know one organization will recommend you have this number another organization will be 10 20 points higher and then all this other stuff and and actually you know a couple of years ago there was a, a a organization that that started up called the vitamin d council strictly looking at vitamin <laughs> d research and the reason they developed this was because they felt that people were were in their words needlessly suffering and dying from vitamin d deficiency so their their recommendations on adequate or appropriate numbers are actually higher than all of the other organizations the government organizations everybody else's so they they recommend them to be higher whereas you know, there's like the Institute of Medicine, the numbers that the vitamin D council recommends are adequate. The Institute of Medicine says are toxic. Oh and gosh. realistically, the research just isn't showing that. And actually, if we think that those high numbers are toxic, just like with something like cholesterol salt intake, we, we tend to just attack it so hard that we make it so, so low that it actually becomes problematic. Yeah, I think there was a time too, where they were doing like a lot of testing on rats too, right? And you know, Rats are very, very much yeah. smaller yeah. than humans. Yeah. And I think they were saying like the the toxicity level is, you know, I mean, pretty much nothing, yeah. you know, in terms of humans. Yeah. And, and you know, that was like what they were considering what, like rat poison, like yeah. to the cons- to yeah. the toxic levels of it's rat crazy. poison. So crazy. And that that's the big thing with vitamin D is they're like, oh, yeah, it's super important, but it can also be really toxic. Yes, it can. But the chances of it are pretty slim, pretty as slim. far as I've seen in, in the, you know, the research I was looking at. But it's funny you bring up the rat research because there was actually a study done on rats that they made them vitamin D deficient. And then they actually, once they killed them, they biopsied all their cells. And they couldn't find a single cell, muscle cell, nerve cell, any cell that didn't have vitamin D that had basically populated the nucleus. So the most important part of the cell, the nucleus, the vitamin D, the the nucleus uptook all the vitamin D because it was like, oh, we don't have enough vitamin D. We need to take that in. And they couldn't find any brain cells, muscle cells. So every cell in the rat had quickly uptaken the, the, the rest of the vitamin D available because it was like, crap, we need this, right? That's how important it is. Yep, so sure. they, they found that. And it is, it, yes, it's rats, but at the same time, it's that's pretty interesting, pretty crazy. Um, so a, as it relates to toxicity, let's talk about this because I think it's important for people don't understand that. So I mentioned before where it interacts with cholesterol and then it has a stored form and a, you know, an active form. There's also, you know, two main forms of vitamin D itself. So you have D2, which is, um, from plants, it's plant-based and then vitamin D3, which is the animal form. So we can absorb both of those as, as humans, as homo sapiens, but we actually, you know, D3 is five to 10 times more absorbable, more readily available to the, you know, to the human body. So that's interesting to, to note. And the other thing is that toxicity from vitamin D is way less likely if your vitamins A and K are also adequate levels. Now, if we look at foods, animal foods, especially animal fats, are loaded with vitamin A and K. So if you consume enough animal foods and enough animal fats, your, your A and K levels will be adequate so you are less likely to have toxic levels of vitamin D. Now, if you are plant-based, 
We are not having this conversation right now on this podcast about <laughs> whether you should be plant-based or animal-based. We're going to do that You one. pretty much all know how we it. feel. Yeah. But I will say that if you are plant-based, you need to make sure that you are getting enough vitamin A and K from other sources. Now, we could go down a rabbit hole of K as well because if you are getting K from plant foods, it is likely K1. You need K2 as well. So you need to probably be supplementing if you are in that place now. I mean... We're not getting into the the whole like recommending this than that on this podcast or really ever because that's not our role. But if you consume animal foods and you get enough sun, you will not reach toxic levels of vitamin D. It's just it, it's not possible. Your body has protective mechanisms in place that we mentioned before about the melanin to not allow you to get to a toxic level with vitamin D from the sun. So you won't get a toxic level from the sun. It would be more so from supplementation or from food. And it's very hard to get it from food anyways. So if you are supplementing, but your A and K are, are in check, there's a good chance you still can't even achieve toxic levels. So the toxic levels would come more for, from being plant-based and having so much of the D2 in your blood because your body can't absorb it as re- readily. So now you're overloaded with vitamin D2 from the plant sources and you're probably experiencing other symptoms like bloating. And, <laughs> I think it's know, important to note like too how, because UVB rays have an effect on humans and effect on plants, right? Yeah. And it's funny how we we go right to plants and say that plants is is, is so great and taking in this vitamin, you know, D2 is, is great, but it's like vitamin D3 is actually what's produced from the UVB yeah. maze in the yeah. skin. Your body doesn't but, produce that. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. it does in plants. Yeah. So it's like, why would we take something that was derived from plants into it? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, our body doesn't want it. It doesn't, doesn't need yeah. it. Yeah. It's not necessary. It can use it in, sure. in, in a pinch, right? Of course. Like in, that's how we evolve. Like if there's not animal foods available, we have to resort to something. Totally. So we resort to the D2. Yep. It's not as good, but we could still use it. Right. But it wants the D3. It's craving the D3. That's right. Yeah. Um, so let's backtrack a little bit because we really didn't even talk about, I know you, you briefly talked about um, the function of vitamin D, but, and I said before that vitamin D plays a role in numerous functions in the body, but let's talk a little bit about some of what those do. Vi- vitamin D, most people have heard of it in, in like I mentioned before, rickets. Um, and then as you go later in life, osteoporosis, it's related to. So most people think of it as it relates to bones. And for a long time, we, we thought that's all it did was it was regulating calcium absorption in the body. But it does much, much more than that. We are finding so many new things about it. I mean, it's, it's crucial for uh, your musculoskeletal system, appropriate muscle contractions. And then the cool research that's been coming out, I know you found some of this chat on testosterone, but people who supplemented with um, vitamin D in one study had 20% higher testosterone. So they were able to build more muscle which is great. We've talked a lot about, we talk pretty much every podcast about building muscle. You can't go wrong building some muscle. So musculoskeletal function, huge. It is critical in immune function. We're going to get more into this um, in a little bit. I don't want to talk about this just yet. Um, Cause if, if we talk about it too early in the podcast, we might get flagged and <laughs> you know, we don't want that. No, but immune function, it's, it's huge and it's big for innate immunity. So if you're one of those people that and what innate immunity is, is, is just the, the immunity that we were born with and we developed early on in life, more so than what's called adaptive immunity that we get in response to. When you do get sick, your body develops the, the um, you know, antibodies to fight that particular, you know, virus or bacteria. So innate immunity is, you know, what we just have already. It's, it's our defense mechanisms that we're, we just 
have in there ready to go. So if you're someone who gets sick a lot, you know, you're just kind of frequently sick. It's never really that bad, but you're just, you know, constantly got something going on. I would look into your vitamin D because there, there's a good chance that, you know, your, your innate immunity isn't functioning optimally. Your, your adaptive immunity is ready to go. It's probably on overdrive, but if your innate immunity is not functioning very well, you might want to get the, uh, the vitamin D checked. Um, vitamin D also super important with glucose tolerance, which we've mentioned this in previous podcasts as well. Super, super important. Diabetes is a huge issue in our modern society. So vitamin D plays a role in that as well. So it it is really associated with a lot of things. It's, it's also been linked to hypertension. So, I mean, your cardiovascular system. So we got musculoskeletal immune system, cardiovascular system, neuromuscular, everything. So it is really, really something that is you know, infiltrated in every system of the body, whether, whether we, uh, want to, want to believe that or not. Yeah. And and they've actually, I mean, they're actually doing studies on vitamin D levels with, uh, predicting somebody's like, uh, overall health and wellness. Um, and that's like grip strength. Totally. Grip strength. Yes. We could put that on the, we could put that on the spectrum. (laughs) So, um, but they, for people that have low vitamin D levels, they typically spend less time outdoors, which means they're not as active. Um, they tend to have less exposure to sunlight and typically people that are overweight tend to have lower levels just because that those fat cells just really, you know, take up all that vitamin D. So it's, you know, it's pretty, it's a good predictor of health, I think in in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And and that's a good point you brought up too, with people being overweight. If you do have excess body fat, you will have a harder time using vitamin D for the things your body needs it to like your bones and your muscles and your heart because your, your, your fat cells are just eating it up. They're just storing it. So we do need to make sure that, you know, we are at a, at a good body weight for, um, for optimal, uh, synthesis and use of vitamin D within the body. So that is, that is super important. Um, so let's, now that we talked about what, what vitamin D does that the vast array of, of what it can do in the body, Let's talk about where where people can get it from aside from the sunlight. Like the sunlight, we know that that is everyone kind of is aware of that to some extent. You know, we talked a little bit about how it how it works, interacts with cholesterol, all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about some sources of vitamin D for people that, especially in the Northeast, like Chad was saying, we we can't get enough sunlight in the winter usually, and even then, there's there's research showing us that you can't. Most people can't even absorb enough of the UVB from that winter sun because it's it's probably too far away. Maybe I don't even know what it is, but it's uh it's it's not you're not getting enough UVB from it. So we're not getting the vitamin D from you know synthesized from the sun. So we need to offset you know whether that means supplementing or getting it from our food. Like I said before, it's tough to get it from food, but there are some good options. There are some good yeah, options like meat, yeah, uh, liver. If you're into that sort of thing. Yep, egg yolks. And, yes. If you eat eggs, those egg, are great. Egg yolks are awesome. Fish. Yeah. So liver is a great source of it. I know people listening are like, ugh, that's disgusting. But, but there are it's some, not too bad. There are some great ways to consume liver that's nowadays. Right. That's the, the beauty of our, our modern world where we, we make things a little bit more palatable. So there are easier ways to consume beef liver. I mean, it's you can get it in gra- mixed with ground beef already. So it's beef and liver. Um, you can you know, consume it in capsule form. It's, it's dried and desiccated. So it's, it's easy to just to take in a, in a pill form, you know, cause everyone loves their, their supplements nowadays. So you can take it literally in a supplement form. So it is something that you can, 
you can get through some foods. You can also get it through a bunch of fish, mackerel, sardines, salmon. Um, it's not going to be in huge, huge quantities in food, but you can still get it. So making sure you're, you're, you know, complementing the sunlight, obviously it's, it's easier to get the sun in the summer, but if you live in the Northeast, you gotta, you gotta try to, to add more sources of it through diet for sure. I mean, supplementing is, is worthwhile, but I would absolutely check, get your, get your vitamin D levels checked before you just start supplementing. Um, you could probably get away with it. And if you live in the Northeast in the winter, but you, and, and your body stores it too. So you could always, if you wanted to supplement, you know, every so often, you don't have to necessarily supplement every day because your body's going to store it. It usually stores it, um, for like three weeks at a time. So you could take it every once in a while, but again, we're not recommending one way or the another what you what you supplement with but um eating food time vitamin d yeah good practice for sure. for sure and don't think that a tanning bed is going to <laughs> um substitute real sunlight because that's different it's different it's a different uv ray so sunlight is purely uvb rays while the tanning beds are more uh they're emitting more uva rays instead of the uvb rays so you're not going to get that nice vitamin d you know um, production as you would in the, the normal sunlight. So don't, don't think that just cause you're under a bulb, it's going to, it's yeah. going to work the same way. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sunscreen in a second, yep. but I want to go back to the point about living in the Northeast and living in these more Northern latitudes. So if you look at our, our, the homo sapiens species from an evolutionary perspective, we evolved near the equator, closer to the equator. So we had a lot of sunlight, a lot of access to sunlight year round. And nowadays, a lot of us live up in northern latitudes. Um, so it is important if we do live in those areas, you know, so we're just north of Boston. So we, we deal with the winter every year. And, you know, it's it's important to be doing supplemental things for, for vitamin D um, absorption because you are not getting adequate vitamin D from the sun in the winter. It, that's just the reality of it in these Northern latitudes. So we need to be cognizant of that. And realistically, it could, it could be a reason that we, we see a rise in orthopedic issues nowadays. Like we, you know, we don't know those, those answers yet, but it's, it's worthwhile to, to ask that question. So it's one of those things we just have to be cognizant of if you deal with the winter. And, you know, be, be aware of it and, you know, talk to your doctor, healthcare provider about, you know, how you can best, best go about that for sure. So back to the, the whole thing with, uh, tanning beds. So let's talk about sunscreen. Yep. Let's do it. If you use sunscreen, be mindful of your sunscreen use because even SPF eight, so most people don't even use SPF eight anymore. Most people are at least 30, if not 50. If you use a sunscreen, you are blocking the UVB rays. So you are not synthesizing vitamin D when you use sunscreen. So you need to get some of that sun. We cannot fear the sun. The sun is good. But the problem is, is that if you overdo it, yes, you can have problems. You can burn. But the reality of it is, is that we all burn so much nowadays for a number of reasons. One of which is because we are not outside in the sun all day. We go out on Saturday or something and we yep. get burnt. We're like, oh man, I was, you know, I got burned. I have such fair skin. <laughs> Start blaming it on other stuff. But if you imagine our ancestors being out in the sun every day, right, they're developing a tolerance to it, right? They're, they're secreting more melanin in the cells so they can have that protective, internal protective mechanism in place. 
but we all just love to blame the sun because we go out to the beach on a Saturday, the first nice Saturday of the season, having had no sun since last September. And then we're like, oh man, I burn like crazy. And that's not even to mention the other factors, the dietary factors like <laughs> seed oils, um, what those play on on our ability to burn. But we can't just go ahead and blame the sun and then use sunscreen every waking minute we're outside because you need to get some of that sun. So a good practice would be, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to be outside all day. I am going to embrace the sun for a little bit. If I haven't been out in the sun in a while, it could be as little as 15 minutes. Maybe if I have a little, have a little darker skin, I 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, you know, and once you start to feel the, the, uh, the, the heat ramp it up a little bit in the, on your skin, okay, then maybe you, you go to some sunscreen, but um, it, it's the type of thing we cannot fear it. We cannot just straight up avoid it because we are causing other problems for yeah. sure. And think about all the the stuff that's in the sunscreen, like Nick was just talking about, that your body is it's now so absorbing. Bad. It's so bad because think about all the stuff that gets. It's just going to happen, you know. So what's worse? Yeah. Oh, so so you're creating something by trying to protect yourself against something, which you know doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So and I'll tell you from so we should do we. We had, a, in one podcast, we talked about seed oils, yep. industrial seed oils. So you guys can go back and listen to that. I think that was pod, uh, episode six, uh, too. Or seven, I think it, one of those. Yeah, I think it so, was. So I can tell you from experience that I grew up eating a ton of seed oils. And what I mean by seed oils is vegetable oil, um, canola oil, all those industrialized oil. Anything you see on a on a, a box or a bag is probably a seed oil. So if it's not, uh, you know, the, the ones that really aren't, considered seed oils would be like olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, anything else that's not butter, tallow, ghee, um, lard would be considered a seed oil. And the problem with the seed oils is that they actually make your cells more prone to burning. So I can tell you from experience, I grew up on a ton of seed oils. I grew up on a lot of processed food. That's not a, a you know, it, it, it was just because we didn't know. Right. And in the last couple of years, I have significantly, I haven't completely eliminated them, but I have significantly reduced my intake of seed oils. And I can tell you, I burned super easily growing up. And in the last three years, I really have had very, very mild sunburns, if and if at all, like this past summer. And I live two blocks from the beach. So I'm at the beach a lot and I'll be there for hours and I'll put on, you know, maybe some zinc oxide or something at some point, like if I've been out for a few hours, but I'll be a little red and it'll last maybe 24 hours, but I really don't burn the way I used to. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that it's because I have substantially reduced my intake of seed oils. Yeah. And it's funny because you can go on the, you know, American Academy of Dermatology, right? And <laughs> there's, I had to look this up because I was curious. Of course. And it says, um, why is the FDA concerned about these sunscreen ingredients? And, you know, it kind of goes on to talk about the, that, you know, they're just trying to ask for more like safety data. And then it says, um, I recently read an article that suggests that the FDA is saying many sunscreen ingredients are unsafe. Is this true? And it says, no. <laughs> but, but now the FDA goes to say that the FDA is proposing that two ingredients are generally recognized as safe and effective. These two ingredients are titanium dioxide and zinc oxide. So yeah, there you have it. It's crazy. There you it's have crazy. it. And, and really too, that if we, if we substantially re restrict our, our absorption of sunlight, 
we're we're just going to pose other problems just like we've talked about in past podcasts with something like salt and um, cholesterol you you can pose other problems yes if those things are are excessive and out of control yeah that can that can create problems but if we go the other way with it and restrict 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 so much that we don't get it we we are running other risks there's there's been um you know studies done based on latitude longitude of of people's um, like where they live, where they, um, you know, grew up, things like that. And there's latitudinal associations. So the higher away from the equator you are, that there are more, there's a higher incidence at higher latitudes of hypertension, um, type one diabetes, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune disease, even a couple different cancers. So there, there's this connection between inadequate sunlight and and you could say, is it vitamin D or is it the sunlight? I mean, it, it, there's a, a specific correlation between sunlight and your you know likelihood of developing developing these issues. So that's that's a huge consideration. You cannot completely avoid the sun, and if you do, it's going to pose problems. Yep. You know, agree. At the end of that inspection, if you get too much sun, yeah, you can you can run run some risks as well. But we need to find that balance and. When the summer comes, if you live in the Northeast, gradually build up your tolerance to it. You know, go out in the spring for, you know, 15, 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer and gradually ramp that up. Just don't go out on the first nice day and just expect that you're going to be where you were last summer with a nice bronze skin tone. Yep. You know, yep. I think that's a good time to bring up your uh, your little research you found today on, on which one. <laughs> Uh, oh, the, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Let's do that. Where, so, where, where we absorb okay, uh, sunlight so the best. This, this kind of, I was going to kind of talk about this a little bit later, but since Nick brought it up, let's bring it up. So bring this is up. on my list of, of ways that we can best optimize our vitamin D levels. And one of those things on the list is basically sunning in the nude. And you'd be like, what? Yeah. That makes no sense. Now, uh, not everybody can do this because it can be kind of technically illegal, all depending on where you are. <laughs> but if you have the ability to do that, then, man, your sun exposure into your uh, your genital region is going to not only greatly impact your vitamin D levels, but in men, there's actually been research to show that there's the most positive impact on testosterone levels mm-hmm. as well, just through sun exposure. That's wild. Oh, yeah. That's very wild. But they, so they said that, you know, that's how you absorb the vitamin D the best, the sunlight that gets absorbed through your genital regions. But also now, if you can't get there, right, like, let's say you like, you know, you're in an apartment and it's not cool. Like, you're not like that friendly with your neighbors or whatever. Um, and you're like, man, I can't do that. Well, there's another way that you can do that. And, um, if you expose your back, this is like the second they say is the second place on your body that creates the most vitamin D absorption as well. You would think it's the front of your torso, like your chest, but it's actually your back. So lay on your stomach if you can't be nude. So I learned that a, uh, it was probably a little over a year ago because it was in the it was in the summer about the whole um, you know sun sun your genitals thing, and I was I mean at least I could tell you I was. <laughs> trying so hard to figure out how so we live on a main road pretty much right on the road in a townhouse so we have you know units attached to us as well so a lot of neighbors and we're close to the beach but I was trying to figure out we have like two different decks and I was trying to figure out how on the deck I could do it without anybody seeing me from below and it was it was hard I would have had to um 
you know, set towels up specifically. (laughs) And then I was like, oh man, drones are a thing nowadays. I was like, what if someone comes over with a drone? Especially by the beach. But then also the, uh, the walls on the deck, like the, um, you know, our, 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 our house kind of extends over the side. So you, you can only look out one way. So I would have to get it right in the middle of the day, like right at noon for the sun directly down. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise the angle just wouldn't work. The, the, the house would be in the way. So I was trying to figure out it on the deck. Um, but it, it wouldn't work. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out a better way to get it done, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll make it happen. Yeah. And, and kind of like what Nick was talking about, he, he talked about noon. So the best time of the day for sunshine is between noon and three, yes. just so yes. you guys know that. Yes. And, and that that's time. and that's for specifically for vitamin D synthesis. The vitamin the, the sun at lower solar angles, so basically, um, you know, at sun sunrise and sunset, that is that has other positive effects. So, and, and not so much for vitamin D, but it has other positive effects. So try to try to view the sun at low solar angles too for other other effects. But the sun in the middle of the day is going to be the best for vitamin D. So getting out there, but that's when it's also most potent. So that's when you have to be cognizant of how much you're getting. So that is super important. And that also brings up us to our next point with sunglasses. Yes. So the eyes are huge when it yes. comes to triggering your body to synthesize vitamin D. So if you wear sunglasses all the time when it's sunny, that can also pose some issues with how your body actually utilizes that UVB. So getting the sunlight directly into your eyes for, for periods of time can actually be very, very beneficial. And this is also beneficial from a sleep perspective. So if you wear sunglasses and it's blocking the UV rays, your brain is super confused as to its circadian rhythm and its, and its internal clock. So if you're blocking the UVB rays, it's like, oh man, I thought it was, I thought it was the middle of the day. Maybe it's not. You know, so now it's confused and now it's like, oh, do we go to sleep now? Those are so hot because people are wearing them when they're doing work on their computer. They're like, oh, I'm just going to block these rays. It's like, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, no, that's yeah. not how it's- Yeah, and the, the, the blue light blockers can be great at night, but you sure. can't necessarily, um, you know, wear those at a time when the sun is peaking, right? Because your your body's expecting blue light at that time. So it's it's a good way to modulate the amount of, of blue light you're getting. But sunglasses in the middle of the day. Uh, you know, I, I would rethink that one. Um, just, you know, if you're outside for a long, long time, yeah, wear them for a little bit, but maybe not the whole time. And then same thing, there's there's some research indicating sunglasses in the morning isn't ideal because we don't set the clock appropriately yes. to start the day. So that's a big thing. So rethink the amount of time you're using sunglasses. You know, if it's super, you know, there's a big glare when you're driving or something, yeah, you might need them at that time. But, you know, see if you can let your eyes adjust. Your eyes will adjust. So if you let them out in the, you know, at, at noon when the sun is super potent, your eyes will adjust. They're, they've been doing that for thousands of years, millions of years, and it, it will happen. You just need to give it time. And again, you need to build up tolerance to it. So use the sunglasses, like your sunscreen sparingly when you need them, not right away. So just, just some things to consider when you're out in the sun. Obviously in the winter, we don't need the, the sunglasses nearly as much, but things, things to think about. Um, let's, uh. Let's talk a little bit about levels because I think people listening might be like, okay, so what should my vitamin D be? Uh, so this is one that I was mentioning before where the organizations are kind of all over the board, all over the board. Now, if you go get a test for vitamin D, it will likely come back if you're in the US in units of nanograms per milliliter. Now, some of them could be what's called nanomoles per liter. So if it's nanograms per milliliter, um, typically, 
most organizations would say right around 30 is sufficient. Now, 30 is, you know, it's, it's okay, but I would, I would argue that based on recent research and what the vitamin D council, now their job is to tell us what the best vitamin D levels is, so, or are, so they would say that between 50 and 80 is more, more sufficient, more optimal. And if you are actually less than 50, they've shown that the body does not store, um, much you know, vitamin D at all. So you're actually, you, because you're, if you're less than 50, you're just using it because you need it. Right. So if we want to actually store some for later, because, Hey, we might be, you know, have a busy couple of weeks of work coming up. So we're going to be inside more. We might not be able to get outside as much. So I need to store some vitamin D. Well, we should probably try to get those, those levels above 50. Now, if you get into the teens, you're talking some serious increased risks of fractures, mortality, diseases, cancers, all that kind of stuff. So we're looking at if you if you get those levels back and and you're, you know, in the 30s to 50s, you're trying to get them up a little bit, whether it's, you know, through a little bit more sun exposure, a little bit more consistent sun exposure, maybe some dietary changes, and then talk to your doctor, maybe some supplementation. But if you're in that 50 to 80 range, cool. And realistically, like I said before, everyone used to be concerned about, oh, you know, vitamin D toxicity. Um, as far as the recent research, it, it's looking at levels of like 150 nanograms per milliliter. So you're, you're probably okay if you're in the 50 to 80 range. And it, it's interesting because it, most, most people aren't in the 80 area anyway. So you're, you're, you know, you're probably not that high. If you're in the 50s, you know, that's, that's good. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you're below, you could probably do a little bit more to get them higher. So, you know, we, we, we want to see those those values go up. I think, according to a lot of the, you know, medical institutions, they have levels that are probably adequate, but they probably could be higher for more optimal human functioning. Now, if we look at the recent research on the thing that we're not going to name, I know. we'll call it I know. Um, banana. Banana. <laughs> yeah, banana. <laughs> so, if we're talking about banana. If you look at vitamin D levels, it is astonishing. So people with vitamin D levels below 30, those are the people's, people that are, are typically in the ICU, right? So they're finding that people who end up in the ICU with severe symptoms from banana are consistently have vitamin D levels very, very low, below 30. Now, the people who are in the 30 to 50 range, they tend to have more milder symptoms. They're seeing this, this like really direct relate relationship between you know your vitamin d levels and the severity and then the crazy thing is is that people with vitamin d uh, or vitamin d levels of over 70 just don't seem to get it yeah yep they just don't they just don't yep they're, they're not, not a thing now part of that could be because there's not many people out there with vitamin d levels over 70 you know that's a that's a a more rare thing nowadays so that makes sense that there's just less people but if there is this protection of higher vitamin D and not getting banana, I mean, let's go get some sun. But that's also, I mean, why are there, why is there not really a lot of people out there with, with levels that high? Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. So. And I, I think that speaks to what I was mentioning before with um, th- these values that are just too low based on our, what, what our, our institutions want to see we have to always consider this concept of unhealthy or healthy user bias. So we have a situation where as a whole, since really the industrial revolution, our vitamin D levels have just been gradually going down as 
as a society. So if we study the society at hand, our ranges will be low, right? So if we think about that, well, if we go to the top end of the range and we're a little high, we're probably fine, right? And probably better off than most. So this concept of unhealthy user bias is huge when it comes to vitamin D because we know since since the mid 1700s when the industrial revolution started that the vitamin D levels have been an issue. So these these ranges, these reference ranges are probably way too low. And you know, you could serve yourself well by, you know, being at the higher end of the range at least, and then maybe even going a little higher. So it is, it is super important. One more thing on banana. Um, the, the research is actually indicating that you are 15 times more likely to die from banana if you have a vitamin D deficiency. And usually vitamin D deficiency means less than, less than, um, 30 in, in some instances, but a lot, it's less than 20. So I would say that that 15 times more is, is probably less than 20. And that is huge because the, the research indicates that people over 60, so the elderly people that we, you know, continually think are the most predisposed, they're only nine times more likely to die from, from banana. So vitamin D is even more significant than your age. Now imagine someone's a little bit older and they have a vitamin D deficiency. Whoa. That's not good. Not good. Not good at all. Not good. I mean, and your age does not affect the way you absorb vitamin D. It, it's going to affect, you know, how, how your body's going to process things, how, how your, um, you know, your, your skin's kind of tolerance to UV rays. But your body is going to process, you know, it's going to synthesize vitamin D the same throughout your lifespan. It's just the other factors that might be playing, you know, causing an uphill battle. But the, the synthesization of vitamin D will occur the same, you know, in, in the, the cells regardless. Yeah. And I mean, even <clears throat> so I found a little research on this as well. And I, I looked and I saw in the Journal of the American Medical Association, this is, I mean, the AMA, that's a pretty big deal. Um, they found this was only in 2020. This was like 500 subjects. And they found that the relative risk of testing positive for banana was about two times greater for patients who were vitamin D deficient compared to those with sufficient levels. So there you go. Yeah. There you have it. Yeah. It's coming out now. I know it's, it's crazy. You can't stop it's it. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. And and it's it's, you know, the type of thing that you want to make sure that you don't want to be, you know, using the uh the hindsight twenty twenty method with the your vitamin D. If if you don't want to then once you test positive for banana yeah. and then be like, Oh, I got to take vitamin D. Right. You should probably make sure you're you should be doing it now. now. <laughs> right. In the, you know, preventatively, but I did actually, before I want to correct something, I messed up the ranges before I said 30 to 50 was shown with lesser symptoms. It's actually 50 to 70, um, with lesser symptoms, which makes sense because it's a little bit higher. So that's my bad. But, um, that's a big, big, big thing right now that we're dealing with. We're dealing with this whole banana thing and, vitamin d could be super your, simple though yeah it doesn't have to be it's it, not complex yeah, exactly man. exactly yeah yeah um so i think i think we've kind of uh crushed uh crushed vitamin d i i do have a few more things that it's it's associated with but i don't think we need to um i think people people get people it. get it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the one thing i do want to just make people think about is medications can in, impact your body's ability to both synthesize vitamin D and, um, utilize it in the body, like mobilize it in the body. So just ask your doctor about those things. There's, there's a variety of medications. I'm not going to go through a list, but it's just something to consider if you got tested for your vitamin D levels and they were low, you know, if you're on medications, 
ask your doctor if your doctor kind of gives you a I don't know or they give you some smart answer um you know I mean smart ass answer like it's uh probably a good indication that they don't know either so you might want to ask someone else <laughs> yeah um, but totally. yeah medications can impact it so something to be aware of yeah for sure cool all right closes the case on vitamin d so get your vitamin d in get your sunshine in um next episode we've got a couple of guests coming in again they're gonna be hanging out with us in the rack next week and uh they go by the name of nicole and mike and uh they're from f45 in salisbury so pretty local uh nicole is the studio manager over there and mike is one of their kick-ass trainers so we get to have a little one-on-one time with them talk a little bit about f45 two on two technically two okay yeah all right two on two well it's one-on-one if it's technically the ratio is still one-on-one that's that's true actually (laughs) damn yeah that's messed up bro yeah Right. I well, was thinking about either way. I was either thinking way. about it from a sports no, perspective. Oh, you know? okay, okay. It's like how many sure. people are on the on, sure. on the court on it, the field. Yeah, you know? no, you can look yeah. at it that way too. Uh, whatever. So, uh, so F45 for all of you that don't know what that is, um, it's basically um, it's a fitness studio and it's global. Uh, there are fitness studios all over the place, and it it focuses on functional group training for 45 minutes. Nick and I have taken a couple of those classes, and they're uh, they're no joke. We just took a cardio burn uh, just last week, and it it crushed us, but it was good. So there's like multiple stations, there's TVs, so you can see what you're doing in each station and it just kind of flows. You get so much time in each station, you get so much rest before the next station. Um, So it's a good way to, you know, join a group class where, you know, you don't want to have to think about it. You just get there and they just tell you what to do and it works out great and and all the movements are are awesome. So we're going to have a good time talking with them. We're going to, you know, see a little bit more about what's going on at 45 Worlds and, uh, you know, we'll we'll give them a host of questions. So, um, all right, moral of the story. You guys all know it's my favorite part. Nick never knows what I'm going to say. So it's true. I never know. It's always surprising me too. So I'm excited. (laughs) Yes. So, all right. Moral of the story. Don't be shady. Instead, get out in the sunshine. You know what they say. Sunshine is the best medicine because whether you like it or not, you're going to get that D. Vitamin (laughs) D, that is. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at ProformPTMA.com or on social media at ProformPTMA. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack.